So, or chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Again, before we go, where are we in time? Where are we in the sequence? Has the first seal been opened? We sitting here right now, us in Longmont, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, whatever city this is, sitting right here, where are we in this sequence? All right. Lots of people, depending on their perspective on Revelation, will come down with lots of different answers on that. Okay? My perspective, like it or not, is we are between the fourth and the fifth seal, or we are in the fifth seal waiting for the sixth. That's my perspective. Again, you don't have to agree with me. That's where I come up. And so now let me explain the seals and let me explain why I think the first four are already in play. So the first one is you have this rider on a white horse and he has a bow and a crown. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now one of the things that people notice and it may be relevant or it may not. A whole lot of ink has been written on it, is that there are no arrows mentioned. So what that you have is a rider on a white horse with a bow and parentheses, no arrows. Now, that could simply be arrows are understood because what good's a bow without arrows? It's sort of like he came rushing at you with a rifle. Well, I didn't say anything about ammunition. You know, it's sort of assumed that he's probably got ammunition somewhere. So you can make that assumption. And, and that's a perfectly good assumption, and I don't have any problem with that. I am going to go, however, to what was it mean, does it mean with a bow and no arrows and a crown? And what I will suggest it means to you is conquering without warfare. Conquering without warfare, because what we're doing here is conquering, right? And, and by the way, there are people out there who say that this is Yeshua. I don't. I, I don't believe it's Yeshua, because Yeshua actually doesn't show up until much later in the book. And he has a you know, two-edged sword and all that kind of stuff. So I don't believe that it's Yeshua. There are lots of people who do, and they make very good arguments, and, and God bless them. I just don't agree. How do you conquer without warfare? Okay, economics. That would, that, you're correct. I hadn't thought of that, but you're, it's a good answer. There's another answer, though. Huh? Diplomacy. Diplomacy. We have now a foot in the world, an organization that is in the process of asserting world governance based on nothing. Okay? So the United Nations is in the process of trying to assert world governance not based on conquest, because they don't have any armies. League of Nations before that tried it. And there have been countless treaties and ententes and, and you know all that kind of stuff in the past where people have tried to conquer other people using economics and using treaties and using diplomacy, which is a bow without arrows, if you will. And, and again... 
if you want to take the arrows as being implied, I don't have any problem with that. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Okay, so this is obviously war. And again, war has been going on for a long time. You know, the, the slosh of empires and so forth. So again, I don't see any I don't see anything in the future that is going to be qualitatively or quantitatively different coming up. There are some battles coming up that are going to be different, but the idea that he's actually I need to back up and make one more parenthesis. One of the things that to understand is in heaven time does not pass at the same rate that it does down here. Time is a created thing. And we know from physics that time, the rate of passage of time, which if you can understand that, depends on how close you are to how much mass. So time passes at different rates depending on how close you are to, to a massive object. In other words, time is a creature of mass, put another way. And if you read the, the, the equations, uh, you see that time and mass are intimately linked. So when you're in heaven, you are basically in a different time regime if you are in a time regime at all. So what reads here as boom, 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 boom in heaven may be years, centuries or decades down here. Okay, Because remember it says in one part of scripture that uh, a thousand years is a day. So you know, the passage of time in heaven is different than it is here. My perspective is as soon as Yeshua ascended to take his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, we had this vignette where we had the Lamb declared worthy. He was given the scroll, and 2,000 years ago, he started popping seals. Because there's nothing to wait for. I mean, once he has ascended, once he's at the right hand of the Father... Once he has been adjudged worthy, there, there's nothing to wait for. So it's my perspective that he starts opening seals. So these things that are happening here, we can see flowing in human history from then till now. When we get to the sixth seal, there's nothing there that we have seen that's like that. Hence my thought that we're between the sixth and the seventh. The fifth takes place in heaven, and it may be going on now, it may have already gone on, it may yet to be future, but it's not something we get to observe, so there's no way to know that. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the old and the wine. Okay, uh, this idea of a pair of scales weighing food is famine. Uh, it says back in, in, I don't remember whether it's Jeremiah or Isaiah, that the siege will be so severe that you will eat your food by weight and will not be satisfied. And what that means is rationing. In, in a siege, you've got 
X amount of food and the city authorities then ration it by weight and so you eat your food by weight. Another expression for famine is cleanness of teeth. God uses that expression also. So this idea of a rider on a black horse with scales in his hand and we're talking about food indicates we're talking about famine. Now, this quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius, uh, wheat is a higher grade food than barley is, and a denarius is what? It's a day's wage for a laborer. So what it's saying is, basically, in order to feed your family, it takes an entire day's labor. Yeah? What I'm seeing that this is, is that famine is loose in the world. Implicit in your question is that it's global, and I don't see that that has to be. And again, if, if you want it to be global and you want to see it happening globally, then it hasn't happened yet. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. The, with the economic and climate regime that we have now, there is no natural reason for famine. Period. I, I used to be in Defense Intelligence Agency, and we'd watch the Russian wheat harvests, and we'd look for signs of things like distress slaughtering because the Russian political system was so screwed up that they couldn't feed themselves. Once they got out of the way, there's plenty of wheat in Russia. There's plenty of wheat in Kansas if we quit putting in our gas tanks and instead drill for oil and use oil in our gas tanks and use wheat for tortillas like it was meant to be. There's plenty of food. Huh? Yeah, there, are, there haven't been sufficient ecological disasters to cause major famine. Most of the famines are local and political. Now, two things about the, the, the metaphors here. A, a quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius tells me that a common laborer must spend his entire wage on food, which means that he doesn't have any left over for you know, buying a Prius or any of those other kinds of things. He's, basically, it takes all of his income to make food. And then, do not harm the oil and the wine. Those are luxury goods. And what that speaks of is you have a lower class that can't afford to feed itself, and you have an upper class that's doing quite well, thank you. Sort of like we have in the United States right now. You know, you have the, we have a, a major recession going on and, and unemployment you know, rocketing toward 20%, but you've got government employees who are doing quite nicely, thank you. It's, it's this kind of a thing where you've got a, a stratified, you've got one group that's doing just fine, and you've got another group that's, that's, that's struggling badly. And that's what I see that metaphor as meaning. Did you have something, Charles? They are not able to produce the food that they should be able to produce to feed themselves. The, the idea of, of that you know, we have Franken food out there, hybrid seeds that don't produce fertile seeds themselves, so you can't save from the last harvest and plant for the next one. You've got to go back to the... Monsanto or whoever made the seed and buy fresh seed every year. So certainly there is a great possibility that we are engineering a famine for ourselves. You know, nothing ever proceeds unimpeded because at the same time you now have a tremendous boom in interest in heirloom seeds and heirloom vegetables and you know, people wanting to plant their own tomatoes and their own beets and they don't want the genetically engineered stuff. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, 
And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Okay, the, the pale horse there, the in the Greek, the word there is the same word we get chlorine for. So it's, it's sort of a pale green, sickly green, if you will, zombie color. And I don't know how many people were killed during the Black Death, but it's certainly in that range. 23 million. Um, but again, the point is, what it's happening is he has re- he has released death by plague onto the earth, and I don't have any idea. I just don't know whether you had sweeping plagues before the time of Christ, like you did, for example, when the Black Death went through Europe. I'm not saying they didn't happen. I just don't know. And I have no idea how many people were killed with the Spanish flu uh, after World War One. Again, millions. millions. What kind of numbers are they today? Africa is being decimated. Yeah. So the idea that you have plagues taking these kinds of people is certainly true within our experience. Not global, not all at once, but among populations. Yeah. The Spanish flu is 40 million? Yeah. So, again, the, the idea of death on this scale from plague is nothing new. And it's been going on at least since the time of Christ. I have no idea about before that. And there may have been plagues like that before that. I just don't know. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Okay, the perspective I'm taking on the, on the book of Revelation is that it is literal and sequential. And I have asserted that when Yeshua got up into the heavens on the right hand of the throne of God, he started opening seals immediately. And that we have at this point gone through four seals. The fifth seal may or may not be finished. We have no way of checking that one. Since all of the action there is in the throne room, it may have happened or it may be happening or... You know, there just isn't any way, way to tell. A couple of things here about these the, whose souls are under the altar. One of the things that I have said in the past, and I still agree with, is that we are not designed for heaven. Uh, we're designed to have bodies. And so what we're designed for is resurrection and populating either this creation during the millennial reign or the new Jerusalem, or the new uh, new heaven and the new earth. So these folks that are under the altar, at the end of the day, they are told to rest a little longer. And what the Bible describes death as, fairly consistently all the way through, is sleeping with your ancestors, sleeping in the dust. That's the metaphor. So beyond that, I don't know. 
this is at least not inconsistent with that metaphor because you have other cases in Scripture where people have been awakened, uh, specifically Samuel, where the witch at Endor woke Samuel up, and Samuel was most chapped to have been woken up and you know, wanted to go back to whatever he was doing or whatever he was not doing. So there's precedence in Scripture for uh, people who are dead to reanimate the scene short of resurrection. Now, the other thing I actually wanted to talk about is in verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O Lord, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This phrase, those who dwell on the earth, you're going to see used consistently throughout the book of Revelation. And it is used as a differentiator from the people of God, uh, heavenly beings, uh, etc. And the people who dwell on the earth are which I will call earth dwellers, are those who are basically invested in the earth and its system and don't have a connection to anything eternal. Okay, And you'll see that phrase used very consistently throughout the rest of the, of the text. So what I'm suggesting here is that obviously these are saints. It says so. Or actually, it doesn't say so. Souls of those who have been slain for the witness they had borne so these would be called in normal parlance saints and they are have been slain by those that we would call the earth dwellers. So as I say, we'll see this conflict running throughout the rest of the book. But sir? In, in, in verse 11, at the end of verse 11, you, you have this distinction of earth dwellers and saints. Yeah. Comment was that it's clear from verse 11 that the term earth dwellers doesn't in, doesn't include God's people because you have people on the earth who are yet to be killed in the same manner as the saints that are there and upon whose killers vengeance will be taken by the Lord, one can assume. So there are people who are physically resident on the earth that don't fall into this category of earth dwellers and they are the saints and the people of God. Thank you. I I agree with that. All right, so now we come to the sixth seal. I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Okay, it's my assertion that this has not happened yet, and that's what we're waiting for. So now, what I want to talk about a little bit is what I think is going on here, and let me preface everything I'm going to say by saying I am going to give you natural explanations for what's happening here, but I do not believe that this is a natural event. So, for example, uh, in the long day of Joshua, when God rained rocks down on the Canaanites, God used real rocks. In other words, he didn't whip something special up to, to clobber the Canaanites with. He used real rocks. And 
but it was a supernatural event in that he orchestrated the timing and the delivery of those things so it would hit the enemies of God. But the things that he used in that process were natural things. So, having said that, what I am going, and I read this in a, in a book, and if you want the title of a book, I'll give it to you. I don't think it is particularly good except for this insight. The thing we, to understand is there's a whole lot of stuff out in the universe that we haven't located. And what I am told by astronomers and people like Brian who know such things is that there's a whole lot of matter close to the solar system that we can't find. In other words, it exists, but we can't find it. There are groups of stuff outside the or- orbit of Neptune. And what, what are those called? Some there are, there's, uh, Kepler, uh, Kepler belt, is that it? There's an orbit or cloud, and then beyond that is, is the uh, Kepler belt, spelled K-K-M. I think that's the other way around. Or at least on the pictures... Yeah, the Kepler belt was the, is outside of Neptune, and then the Oort cloud is up is beyond that. At least in the diagrams I was looking okay, at this afternoon. Right. Yeah. The, the comment was the, in the in the Kepler belt they've al- already found things that are bigger than Pluto, which is one of the reasons that Pluto sort of lost its status as a planet. But the point is, there's a lot of stuff out there. In the past, there have been astronomical events that have caused tremendous destruction on the Earth you have periodic mass, dis- mass extinctions of whole species and whole ecos- ecosystems. Depending on whether you believe the Earth is 6,000 years old or, or 2.5 billion, or what is it, 13 billion years old? That, that the latest number that they've got? Okay, 4.5 billion years old. So depending on whether you think the Earth is 4.5 billion years old or 6,000 years old, the fact remains that we don't have any more dinosaurs. And they all sort of went extinct very quickly. And there have been other such catastrophes in the observable history of the planet. One of the things that's interesting is, is um, Jonathan Swift, who who's a, was an English uh, essayist uh, about the 17th century, uh, 1650, you know, in that time frame. I, I, I always forget to look up when he lived. But anyway, he wrote a, a, a satire, uh, Gulliver's Travels. And in that book, he talks about the moons of Mars. And he names them Phobos and Deimos. Well, the state of astronomy and the state of optics was such that you couldn't see the moons of Mars until the middle of the 19th century, almost 200 years later. They were actually discovered. And and what they are is they're very small, and they have a a very low albedo, which means that they're dark. They they don't shine. They don't sparkle. And so you need the Naval Observatory, I think in the 1850s, uh, was where they were discovered. But anyway, Swift wrote a couple of centuries before that and accurately described them. So people say, and, and people asked him, how do you know that? And he says, well, I got that from you know, old writings kind of things, uh, myths, legends, old writings, that kind of thing. And so the, the, the speculation is, and, and th- there's another guy that, that wrote, and, and everybody laughs at him, a guy named Velikovsky. 
And all of the reputable scientists, you know, snicker up their sleeve at Velikovsky. And his theory was that the planet Venus sailed close flyby to Jupiter and a close fly to the uh, Earth and then was captured finally in a, in a stable orbit. And as it went by, it caused major damage to the Earth. And again, I'm not plumping for any of these theories. Okay, I'm not saying Velikovsky's right. I'm not saying any of that's right. I'm simply saying that the planet is full of histor- histories where you have major catastrophic events that have happened and changed everything overnight. And what happens when those catastrophes occur is you have massive disruptions in the ecology that often results in mass extinctions of uh, plants and animals. So, what am I saying? What I'm saying is, starting here in the sixth seal and going forward, everything here can be explained by the near pass of a planet-sized object. And I'm going to show you a couple slides here to show you what I mean. So there's a, a diagram of the solar system. And, and one of the things to notice is what, the way this is drawn and the way it is actually. Notice that eight of the nine planets are like a pancake. They're, they're like a frisbee. They're in the same plane. Uh, Pluto is outside of the plane of the ecliptic. And it's certainly possible that there are other things outside of the plane of the ecliptic. And one of the problems with observational science, the universe is a big place. And so if you're going to explore the universe, you sort of got to pick and choose where you look. And most of the exploration is done, solar system exploration is done in the plane of the ecliptic because that's where most of the stuff is. So you don't, if you're a, study, if you're a solar system studier, you don't spend a whole lot of time looking at galactic north because your chances of finding something in the solar system are fairly small. Does that so it made sense? Let me show you another uh, slide here. All right, this is sort of tipped on its side so I could get it all in. The smaller oval is the orbit of the Earth. The larger oval is a comet that is coming out of the Oort belt, which is that belt beyond Neptune, and that's where a lot of comets originate. And what happens is, is it flies through, and at least in this particular diagram, it breaks up as it comes near the sun. Gravitational tides or whatever it is, it breaks up. and But all that mass doesn't go away. So the mass now keeps following the orbit like a, cha- like a chain of buckshot. So you have the, the, what used to be a you know, fairly solid, solid and coherent thing that is now spread over a long distance. And so what happens here in this diagram is on the, on the other side of the sun from where it breaks up, you see that the Earth passes through this debris cloud. And that's what we know as a meteor shower. So let me use this same diagram then and suggest to you a different scenario. So instead of having a comet come flying in out of the Oort belt, which is compared to the mass of the Earth is small, you have, some, you have something out there that is the size of the Earth or better that comes flying out of the Oort belt. Doesn't hit the Earth, but makes a near pass. And what happens then is you'll have gravitational tides and you'll have electromagnetic 
interaction between those two bodies. Because remember, the, the Earth has a, a magnetic field. It's a rotating uh, iron core, and it's got a magnetic field, and there's no reason to think this other thing won't either. So you have, when you have a conductor that flies through a magnetic field, what do you get? Lots of electricity. So the idea of having electrical discharges between the Earth and whatever this thing is, is perfectly sound physics. The idea of having large gravitational tides between the two is just physics. And so you'll have major disruption. And I, and I was looking today in the, uh, there's a psalm. Yeah, Psalm 114. And this is, uh, it, it's a short psalm. I'll read the whole thing to you. It's eight verses. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became its sanctuary, Israel its dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. That's it. The sea looked and fled. Well, that's clearly the crossing of the Red Sea. No problem. Jordan turned back. No problem. When they crossed the Jordan entering the land under Joshua, the, the river split. What's this? The mountains skipped like rams. What I'm going to suggest it is, is something else. Because remember, elsewhere in Scripture, it refers after the great earthquake. Yeah, Amos, two years before the earthquake. And, and again, it's an earthquake that's significant enough that it's written into Scripture as something that everybody knows. It's like we would say two years after 9-11. Well, everybody here knows what 9-11 means. In Psalm 114, it talks about the hills skipping like rams. And then you have the evidence that Jonathan Swift knew about the moons of Mars before they could reasonably have been discovered. And one other place, 2 Peter 3, verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's a uniformitarian argument, which is to say this, the way things are now is the way they have always been and the way they will always be. And that's not true. And Peter is referring to people here who are scoffers. He's referring to people here who don't know it. So what I'm saying to you is the things that are described here in Revelation are nothing that hasn't happened before. And what God is saying is it's going to happen again. Now, what the exact thing that is, I mean, the, the, the exact cause of that is I don't know. There's lots of, lots of people, lots of very bright people that got lots of theories but I'm saying, if we had the near pass-by of a planet-sized object, everything from here on would follow. So the first thing we have, let's take them in order. The first thing we have is the planet itself passes by. And you've got then earthquakes, stars in the sky falling to the earth, you know, meteor showers. Um, the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon like blood. Everybody remember the... Uh, fires we had here a couple months or last month. I was standing there and the plume of smoke went right over my house and you looked up and the moon was just red as blood and so I mean yeah ash fell on us. So again you all remember there's a picture in uh, all the news media from Iraq during 
Desert Storm. And it's a picture of a, of a camp. And you see this wall of sand that is basically moving and about to engulf the camp. The sandstorm, obviously. But you can, you can literally see this wall of sand moving toward the camp. And it's a very dramatic picture. So the idea of the sky rolling up like a scroll, uh, that would certainly describe something like that. So again, all of these things I'm suggesting to you would be perfectly consistent with the near pass of such an object. And then you've got basically all of the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful going into bunkers. Bunkers all over the world where governments build them to you know, keep their command and control folks safe during a disaster. And so the idea that these folks would all head into a bunker in a mountain, you know, you've all been down to Cheyenne Mountain, I'm sure, that's not at all fanciful. So, so this sixth seal I'm suggesting to you could easily be, and again, say this again, I am not saying that it's not supernatural. I'm saying the orchestration and the timing and all that kind of stuff is of God, but he uses natural things. Okay, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this is some random natural event. So with that, I'm going to move on to chapter 7, and we got the 144,000. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you. And I shall